0: This morning in week two of our five-week series, last week we worked through the Old Testament, and it's a five-week series, and we're going from the Old Testament all the way to Revelation. And so this morning we're going to be focusing on the Gospels of Jesus Christ. Next week is going to be Acts, and then the Epistles, and then we're going to have our final week on Revelation, the study of end things. There's a couple of things from last week that I wanted to reiterate with us this morning before we move to the Gospels. And so I just wanted to touch on those points again. Number one, the Old Testament we looked at was a particular history. It was following the nation of Israel. Secondly, the Old Testament teaches a passion for holiness. As believers, when we read through the Old Testament, it should give us a passion for what we now have in Jesus Christ, a passion for holiness. Third, the Old Testament is a promise of hope. It's a promise of hope of things to come, the person of Jesus Christ. We saw from creation in Genesis to the end of the Old Testament, it all pointed to Jesus Christ, our Savior. As I mentioned, the series is broken up into five major parts. To help us remember these five major parts, we're going to have one word that we associate with each part of the series. And so the Old Testament, we're just going to use the word mystery. Mystery. And so the Old Testament was the mystery because we didn't know And neither did the prophets and the people living in the Old Testament times. They didn't know exactly what was going to happen. They had some glimpses and things to come, but they didn't know it was a mystery. This morning, as we come to the Gospels, the one word you need to remember is man. The man, Jesus Christ. So the Gospels are all about the man. So we have the mystery and the man. But I want us to make no mistake, Jesus Christ was no ordinary man But in fact, as we've seen recently, as we've been preaching through the book of John, was that Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is the God-man. Fully man and fully God. This morning, we're going to look at that. And we're going to transition from the Old Testament into the New Testament, where we see that promise of hope given last week in the Old Testament, carried out in the Gospels. And before we get there, there was a common theme that I spoke of last week that had four parts. And I hope you remember them. I want you to say them with me this morning if you remember them. The four parts were creation, fall, redemption, restoration. I heard a couple of you sharing that. So good job. If you remembered, I know they're on the screens though. So creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And we see this theme throughout the Old Testament and and throughout the Bible as a whole. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Restoration. And always it does a full circle. It goes all the way to restoration, and then there's something new or a new nation or something created, and then there's a fall. There's sin involved. And we see this take place all throughout the Bible. And in the Old Testament, it always happens in this circular cycle except two places. Two places, it doesn't finish its cycle. And we're going to look at those, the first of which is in the book of Malachi. So I want us to turn this morning to the book of Malachi. It's the last book that you'll find in your Old Testament Bible. The book of Malachi. While you're turning there, I just want to share what Malachi was. Malachi represents the last prophetic book of the Bible. Really, it ends God's word to the people. This was the last prophetic word God had given the nation of Israel. And it pronounces, if you read through the book of Malachi, it pronounces judgment against the people. God says, I have these things against you, and then he goes on to list some things he had against the people, sin problems, and then the book just ends. It really doesn't finish this cycle and and for there to be redemption and restoration. It just ends with a judgment. And so the people of the Old Testament, from creation all the way up to that point, they've always seen those last two, redemption and restoration, and then... There's silence for 400 years in the Old Testament to the New Testament where there is no redemption and no restoration. And this makes another problem because since Malachi ended the Old Testament, we now have a bigger problem. When you look at the Old Testament as a whole, when you zoom out and you look at Genesis to Malachi, we don't have redemption or restoration there either because we have creation. And then in creation, we see Genesis 3, there's sin. Adam and Eve sin. And now sin has came upon the whole human race. And we see this in Romans 5.12. It tells us this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. And so now we have this problem of sin being passed down generation after generation after generation. And since Malachi ended the Old Testament, we have no redemption or restoration, in the entire Old Testament book. We see good kings and bad kings in the Old Testament. There was construction of temples and there was destruction. There was freedom and there was captivity. There were good priests and there were evil priests. There was good sons and evil sons. That's what the Old Testament was comprised of. And when you look at the, the big picture, sin is never permanently dealt with. But right before the book of Malachi closes, we see in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, a promise of hope given. And I want us to start there this morning. Malachi 3, verse 1, it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. If we turn to Malachi 4, just the next page there, looking in verse 4 through 6, It says this, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb. That's another name for Sinai, where the Ten Commandments were given. Verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So right before the Old Testament closes, God gives a promise. There's not redemption and restoration yet, but there's a promise of coming redemption and coming restoration. And then the Old Testament closes. And the final words they were given told the people, look back, look back to Moses and what you had been given, the law, the commandments, and keep those. Keep the word of God. But then he also said, look forward for something to come in the future. They were commanded to look forward to a promise coming. And we read that God said he would send them a prophet like Elijah. Mark Dever says it this way, God employed his last prophet before John the Baptist to remind God's people of the law of the prophets, Moses and Elijah, the same two who would stand with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, pointing to Jesus in the New Testament. And Elijah did come. His name was John the Baptist. He came to baptize, preach repentance, and to prepare God's people for the coming of the Messiah. So if you're reading the Old Testament straight through, you come to Malachi and you read, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger. He's going to prepare the way before me. Turn a couple of pages over to the New Testament. We're going to go to Mark chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all Gospels, they all point to Jesus Christ. They're all completely compatible, but they do give different perspectives on things. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It says this, The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Listen to what it says. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Remember what we read in Malachi three one. We're told this Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Same thing that we read here right before Jesus Christ comes on scene. Look in Mark chapter one, verse four. It says, Then John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, After me comes who is mightier than I. Whose strap, whose sandal, I am not unworthy to stoop down and untie. He goes on and says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So we see the very things that were commanded and were prophesied in the Old Testament. A couple of pages into the New Testament, we see it happening. And John the Baptist appears, the forerunner, the last prophet before Jesus Christ. And he announced, the one who's coming after me is greater than I. The one who comes after me is the one who's going to take away the sins of the world and he's preparing the way for Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to fixate and focus on the person of Jesus Christ. And really, we're going to see how Jesus fulfills everything that was lacking in the Old Testament. What we looked at last week, all the major areas that were failures in the Old Testament that the people failed in, Jesus Christ in the New Testament fulfills every single one of those roles, specifically We're going to look at three roles or three offices that Jesus Christ fulfills. And those three offices are the office of a prophet, the office of a priest, and the office of king. Now, the office of prophet, priest, and king were dominant positions in the Old Testament. Most major Old Testament characters fulfilled one of these offices. So Moses, Aaron, David, Samuel, Saul, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Solomon, they all fulfilled one of these offices. And these offices provided structure to the nation, accountability, leadership, wisdom, guidance, and direction from God and from the people to God. But we know from reading the Old Testament that the prophets were lacking, right? They were men who were supposed to represent what God was going to say, but they were sinful men, so they were lacking. The priest, if you've read the Old Testament, the priests fell into sin all the time. They allowed sin to continue in front of them, and they themselves sinned. So they weren't good priests. The kings, many of them set up idols and worshipped other gods. They disobeyed God and they oppressed the people. All three of these offices in the Old Testament were failures. To begin this morning, we're going to look at Jesus Christ specifically as prophet. Jesus Christ as prophet. To begin, I want us to see what a prophet actually was in the Old Testament. Louis Burkhoff provides a definition here for us. He says this, It was the duty of the prophets to reveal the will of God to the people, to interpret the law in its moral and spiritual aspects, to protect against formalism and sin, calling the people back the path of duty and to direct attention to the glorious promise of God in the future. Here's a quick picture for us of what a prophet was to do. You have God and God reveals information to the prophet and the prophet was to go out and share that information with the people. So the prophet was literally God's spokesman to the people. That's what the arrow there is for. So we've heard and we've listened to a prophet. That's what they would have had to do to listen to God. But they were sinful men. They could not fulfill this position perfectly. A better prophet was needed. And God gave them a promise that a better prophet was going to come. Listen to Deuteronomy 18. It will be on the screen this morning. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your brothers. It is to him that you shall listen. I, God, will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. The Old Testament foretold of a new and better prophet who was coming, one better than Moses. One who could fulfill the office of a prophet, who could perfectly speak on God's behalf to the people. Jesus Christ is that fulfillment. I want us to look at how Jesus fulfills that role as prophet for us today. The first of which is Jesus taught the people. He taught us in the New Testament about God's law. He exhorted the scriptures. He gave warnings. He exercised authority. In Matthew 7, right after the Sermon on the Mount, we read this, when Jesus finished those sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as just a scribe. So Jesus is teaching the word of God with authority. That's what a prophet did. They would say, I'm here speaking on God's behalf. And they did it with authority because it was God's authority. Jesus did that. As prophet, Jesus spoke on God's behalf. In John chapter 12, we see this very clearly. Beginning in verse 44, listen to what it says. Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. So Jesus is declaring himself to be a form of a prophet here. And then he goes on and says this, which this is something the Old Testament prophets could never have said. Whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. The Old Testament prophets could never say that, because they were sinful men. But Jesus is saying, listen, if you see me, you're seeing him who sent me. Because Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. And then he goes on and says this, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. The word that I have spoken Will judge him on the last day. For I have spoken, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So Jesus is the perfect prophet that God has given us on God's behalf to speak to us. He spoke to us on behalf of God. Jesus also, like a prophet, foretold of future events that had not yet happened. He proclaimed things that had not yet happened. His death, his crucifixion, right? He said these things were going to happen. The destruction of the temple in the New Testament, he talked about that going to happen. Judas' betrayal and much more. Jesus was acting as a prophet. Here's the takeaway for us this morning with Jesus being our perfect prophet. If Jesus Christ is our perfect prophet. We need to see him that way. And we need to understand that we do not lack one thing from God. See, the Old Testament prophets, they would go and they would listen. And they'd get new information. New information from this prophet or new things going to happen. And there's spiritual movements all out there today that talk about prophecy and a word from the Lord. And I have this to give you. And I have this new commandment. And if Jesus Christ is our perfect prophet, which means he has revealed everything from God perfectly to us, that means what? There's nothing new. There's nothing new that we can get from anyone. That's the ministry that we need to see Jesus Christ as prophet in. We're not missing any revelation from God through his word. This is why we believe there's no such thing as modern day prophets. Because there's no need for them. If someone is declaring themselves to be a modern day prophet, they're directly opposing Jesus Christ as the perfect prophet. So now they're saying, I have something to share with you, or you, or you that Jesus Christ has not already shared. So we should reject that because Jesus Christ is our perfect prophet. If anyone comes saying those things, you need to get away from them. You don't need to listen to those words. Now listen, if somebody comes to you and says this, God wants you to live a holier life. That's not being a prophet, church. That's just being a Christian, telling you what God has already told you, right? If God says, I want you to have a godly marriage, pursue to serve your spouse better. That's not prophetic. That's not prophecy. That is the word of God. That's you just repeating what God has already given us. And so we need to be careful and think through these things. Scripture has made it very clear. Second Timothy, chapter three, beginning in verse sixteen, it says this: All Scripture—that means all of it, right? All Scripture is breathed out by God, spoken by God. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and here's what it's profitable for: for teaching, for reproof. That means conviction, bringing about conviction in our lives. For correction. For training in righteousness. And here's why. That the man of God or the woman of God, you and I, may be complete, lacking nothing, equipped for every good work. Which means if Jesus Christ is our perfect prophet, which he is, we have access to everything we need in his word. So don't search for it anywhere else. Go to his word. It's right there. Secondly, I want to look at Jesus Christ as priest. And I understood, I just want to interject here, I understood Jesus Christ as my Savior before I understood a lot of these things. And when we begin to understand how he's our prophet, and he's our priest, and he's our king, it gives us a new perspective, and it really helps us understand what roles he fulfills and how we look to him in these roles. So secondly, Jesus Christ as priest. Here's another definition of what the priest was compared to the prophet. The Bible makes a broad but important distinction between a prophet and a priest. Both men received their appointment from God, but the prophet was appointed to be God's representative to the people, to be his messenger, to interpret his will. The priest, on the other hand, was man's representative to God. He had the special privilege of approaching God and speaking on behalf of the people. So here's the next picture for us this morning. We have the prophet who works through and reveals God's information to the people. Well, the priest is a man who represents us towards God. That's who he was in the Old Testament. This person was taken from among the people to represent the people to go on their behalf to God. And Jesus Christ is our priest. That's good news this morning. Let's look at why. In Hebrews chapter 5, let's go ahead and turn there. Hebrews chapter 5. If you were with me in Second Timothy, a couple of pages over. We're going to start in verse 1. I'll give you a second to turn there. We're going to look at a lot of Hebrew scriptures, so you might as well turn there. Hebrews 5. Remember the Old Testament priests, they were sinful men. They failed. So we never had a good representative to go on our behalf to God. Listen in Hebrews 5 verses 1 through 4. For every high priest chosen... From among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he has done for the people. And no one takes this honor for himself but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So it's saying, Listen, the priests who went on our behalf, they were sinful as well. They could not approach God confidently because they had sin. And remember, we talked about last week, the tabernacle, the closer you got to God, the more holy the space became. And when sin was involved in someone's life, and they approached God with an unrepentant heart, they would be killed because of that sinfulness inside of them. That's how holy God is. That's his justice. And so people weren't approaching God with confidence. They were approaching him with fear. But do we see from this passage how Jesus Christ and how the New Testament and the Old Testament pointed to Jesus Christ as our great priest? We see in this passage, look in verse 1 and 2. It says, the high priest should be chosen from among the men he's appointed to act on behalf of. Do we see why it's important that Jesus Christ lived among us? And that he was dwelling among us. And that he actually went through some of the pains and agonies. And the sufferings and the temptations that you and I face. This is what we call the incarnation. We're going to see in Hebrews chapter 2. How this plays out. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 through 18. Listen to what it says. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. He himself... "...Jesus likewise partook of the same things, that through death Jesus might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. That's us as Christians. Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect." so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So Old Testament high priest had to be taken from among the group of people they were to represent. We see that played out with Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Jesus Christ came and dwelt among us. And he went through life and the pains of life and the struggles of life, the temptations of life, the hardships of life. So now he can be our high priest who sympathizes with us. When we go through things, Jesus Christ has already gone through. Scripture says he's gone through all temptations, yet he never failed. Like our Old Testament priest did. He was perfect and always came through sinless. So now we can have a high priest who has gone through trials and temptations. He's taken from among us. He dwelt with us. Remember last week we saw the verse where it says he tabernacled with us. He came and lived among us. So now he can represent us as our high priest. But not only do we see Jesus Christ acting as our high priest, which he was the only one that could fulfill that role perfectly, we also see Jesus Christ acting as our perfect sacrifice that the priest was to bring. The Old Testament priests were sinful men. And they would get a sacrifice one time a year. They had to go sacrifice this animal in the Holy of Holies for the nation. And they went in there, not with confidence, but they went in there with fear of a holy God. And they represented the people. And they had sin in their lives. So they were atoning for their own sins as well as the people's sins. Well, Jesus Christ, as our perfect priest, is sinless. And he's the only one that can do that job. But Jesus Christ also is the sacrifice. He is our high priest on behalf of God, but he's also the sacrifice that he is bringing, the perfect sacrifice. Listen to John one twenty-nine. The next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The sacrifice. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, was our sacrifice who takes away the sin of the world. So here's what this means for us today when we see Jesus Christ as our high priest. This is how we communicate with God. We go through Jesus Christ as our high priest. We now have open access to God, the Father. It's literally through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we have access to God. Last week in the Old Testament, Remember, I spoke already this morning of how the high priest entered one time a year. They didn't have confidence as they approached that throne. But listen to Hebrews chapter 4. You can turn with me there. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. It says this. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want to share with us the implications of this. Last week in in my Connect group, we talked a little bit about God's anger and God's wrath that we see in the Old Testament, but also His mercy and love. With Jesus Christ as our high priest, that he's the perfect high priest that goes on our behalf to God and he's the perfect sacrifice. This means that as believers, church, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we never, we never receive God's wrath in our life anymore. We never receive his anger. If you're like me, I know that when I messed up big, right, we automatically think, God is going to be harsh with me. God is going to judge me harshly. He is angry at me right now. But we need to understand, Jesus Christ is our high priest. And he's also our sacrifice. And that God's wrath was poured out on who? Christ as a sacrifice. So as believers, I no longer receive the wrath of God for the sin in my life. I don't receive the wrath of God. You don't receive the wrath of God. I may receive discipline in my life out of a love for me. A love, not a wrath, but out of a love. Just as I love my child, I discipline him because I love him. Scripture says that God If we're children of God, we don't receive his wrath. Jesus Christ took that upon himself as our high priest. We receive his love now. That should change. That should change how you see this relationship with God. Notice what type of throne it is, church. We approach his throne of what? Grace. His throne of grace. Not his throne of wrath that sinners have to approach. They approach a throne of wrath. Christians, that's why we have confidence that we can enter into prayer Because Jesus Christ is our great high priest. Thirdly, we need to see Jesus Christ as our king. Jesus Christ as king. Not only is he prophet, not only is he priest, but he is king. Wayne Grudem says this about these three offices. The prophet spoke God's word to the people. The priest offered sacrifice, prayer, and praises on the people to God. The king ruled over the people As God's representative, these three offices foreshadowed Christ's own work in different ways. Christ fulfilled the three offices in the following ways As prophet, he revealed God to us. As priest, he both offers a sacrifice to God on our behalf and is himself the sacrifice that is offered. And third, as king, he rules over the church and over the universe as well. The job of a king in the Old Testament was literally to rule justly, to point people back to God, to stop sinful things and encourage godly things to happen. But the kings all failed in the Old Testament. But Jesus Christ coming in the New Testament, we see God rules man. He is king. And as our king, there's a couple of things that are implications in our life. First, we see in the Old Testament that God promised David a future coming king, would rule. In Psalms 132, we can see Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of this. It says, The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of your sons, one of the sons of your body, I will set on your throne. We see in Luke chapter 1, it talks about the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And it says, The son of David, the son of Abraham. That's why those genealogies are important. It shows the prophecy of the Old Testament is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Something we need to understand, Jesus Christ's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It's not a literal kingdom right now. It is a spiritual kingdom, Colossians 1, 13 through 14. He, Jesus Christ, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What does it mean that Jesus Christ is our perfect king? Here's the takeaway. Jesus Christ, as king, protects his church. He protects us, corporately, in the world, but also individually. He protects us because we're his bride. That's what New Testament teaches. He does not allow any eternal harm to come to any one of us. Romans 8 Thirty one and thirty-four says this, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? For he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God alone who justifies. Who is to condemn? These are king words. Who who is the to condemn? Who is to justify? Jesus Christ, the one who died. More than that, the one who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. So he's not only our prophet who gives us perfect revelation from God, but he's also our priest, which means we have direct access to God and he represents us. And when you pray, the Spirit of God through Jesus Christ is interceding to God the Father. And that's how he can sympathize with us. When you're going through something and you don't think anybody else knows what you're going through, scripture teaches God knows. Jesus Christ knows he's been there and he knows what you're feeling and he goes to God and God, because he loves you, as his child provides for you in the midst of that circumstance. That's what it means he's our priest. He's taken away our sin. And as our king, we can trust that everything that happens to us in this life is under The kingship of Jesus Christ. There's not one thing happening in his kingdom that he's not in control of. And so when something happens, we can appeal and say, God, you're in charge and I serve you. And so I don't always understand everything going on, but you are always good and you always do what is right. And eternally speaking, I know you have not promised me another day here on this earth, but you have promised me eternal life. You've promised me forever in the kingdom. That should change how we deal with problems in this life because he's the king and he's in control of all things. These three offices make up the ministry and the purpose of Jesus Christ. He fulfilled what the Old Testament was lacking in our life. I hope and I pray that you see how incredible it is that Jesus Christ is our prophet, he's our priest, and he's our king. And these three offices that he completely fulfills places Jesus Christ in the only position, the only person who can fulfill this last point. Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus Christ, our Savior. As prophet, priest, and king, he should be our Savior. He should be our Lord. He's fulfilled everything that was lacking. He is our perfect prophet that reveals Everything we need to know about God. He's our high priest. He offered himself as a perfect sacrifice for your sin and mine. The wrath you should have received from God for the sin in your life you know is there. Jesus Christ took it for you. And if you just believe and you confess on the sacrifice he did for you, scripture says you become a follower of him. It's an intent of the heart. Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his own love towards you in this way, that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then Hebrews 9 says, so Christ was sacrificed once. This is a permanent thing. It's not continuing to go back and offer sacrifice. He was the permanent sacrifice. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Incredible news, Jesus Christ took the wrath of God for us. He is Lord of lords and King of kings. I pray that we've all trusted and believed in these incredible promises, and if you're a believer, that you understand the roles that Jesus Christ fulfills and how they relate to your standing before God, your going before God, and the revelation you receive from God. Jesus Christ alone deserves our full allegiance. May we worship Him as prophet, priest, king, and ultimately our Savior. Would you pray with me, church? God, what a tremendous blessing it is That you have fulfilled every need that we ever have, spiritually speaking, God. That we have access to you through your word. You, as prophet, have given us everything we need to know about you. There's not one thing lacking, because you are our perfect prophet. God, we praise you that you are our great high priest. That you know what we've dealt with, what we're dealing with. You have endured... Suffering and temptation, yet you have overcome those things and you were taken from among us so that you could represent us. And as our high priest, God, you also gave yourself as our perfect sacrifice. The only sacrifice that was able to accomplish removing our sin. Not just covering it up, but God, you can remove our sin and we can be sinless before you as saints. God, we thank you that you're our high priest. God, and we thank you that you're our king. You are the king of everybody. Scripture says, one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess. You are everybody's king, just some don't know it. God, I thank you for those of us you've revealed that to, that we can acknowledge you as King. And that as King, you are in control of all things that happened to us. And ultimately, you've given us the promise that we have eternity with you, that you always do what's right. You're loving, you're just, you are the perfect king that we could ever ask for. God, with these things combined, we thank you that you're our perfect savior. We could not ask anything more of you than what you've made available to us in your son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you may speak to hearts this morning. May you radically change our perspective of life in our marriages, in our friendships, in our time, in our jobs, our family. God, radically change all these things to bring you glory. God, we give you praise for everything you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.